To Freedom to Choose, brought to you by Just As I Am Ministries, giving hope to people caught in the devastation of addiction. In this series, Questions I'd Like to Ask God, Rich Kallenberg shares 10 messages about God who loves you more than you can imagine. A God that wants you to understand Him. And yes, a God that welcomes your difficult questions about Himself and the way He runs His universe. Rich found freedom 18 years ago from his out-of-control life of drug addiction and alcoholism when God found him. Break free from the chains that may bind you or your loved ones. Now here's Rich on Freedom to Choose. To be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. And let's go to the text, and let's read the text first, okay? It's in 2 Corinthians, and this is Paul speaking. It says, we're confident, I say, and willing rather to be absent from the body and to be present with the Lord. Wherefore we labor that, whether present or absent, we may be accepted of him. For we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ, that everyone may receive the things done in his body according to that that he hath done, whether it be good or bad. Number one, what is the context, context again? Judgment. Correct? The context is judgment. Now, in order to get a real clear explanation of this, we have to go back to the, the beginning of 2 Corinthians chapter 5. And we're going to look at the Good News Bible, and it's very clear what he's talking about here. And I'm really glad that this question was asked, because it cleared some things up in my mind that I thought I had already known. It actually made it a lot clearer. Let's look at it here. 2 Corinthians chapter 5 and verse 1, it says, we know that when this tent we live in, and what is that tent? Our body here on earth is torn down, God will have a house in heaven for us to live in, a home he himself has made, which will last forever. Now, what is this home he's talking about? Notice, and now we sigh, so great is our desire that our home which comes from heaven should be put on over us. So we have this old tent, but we are waiting for this new tent. Are you with me? By being clothed with it, we shall not be without a body. So he's saying we're either clothed with the old tent or clothed with the new tent. We shall not be without a body. While we live in this earthly tent, here we go again, we groan with a feeling of oppression. Anybody groaning with a feeling of oppression with this earthly tent? It is not that we want to get rid of our earthly body, but that we want to have the heavenly one put on over us so that what is mortal will be transformed by life. Now, what is the context again? The context is judgment. What is the context here? The heavenly one will make the mortal transformed. So let's see what Paul says in 1 Corinthians 15, okay? Because this is really important. He talks about this transformation and when it takes place. Listen to this secret truth, he says. We shall not all die, and in the King James Version, it says we shall not all sleep, but when the last trumpet sounds, when? When the last trumpet sounds, we shall all be changed in an instant. When does the change take place? When the last trumpet sounds. That's when that old tent gets replaced, okay? We shall all be changed in an instant, as quickly as the blinking of an eye. For when the trumpet sounds, 
The dead will be raised. Where are the dead? In the grave. Why are they in the grave? Because they're dead. See, it says the dead will be raised, not the living. They're dead. The dead will be raised never to die again, and we shall all be changed. For what is mortal must be changed to what is immortal. There's what Paul was talking about earlier. We're going to put on the new tent, the new tent of immortality, this new body, because this old one is oppressive. Okay? What is mortal must be changed into what is immortal. What will die must be changed into what cannot die. So, is anybody immortal now? No. It says, when the judgment comes, that's when we will be changed into what is immortal. So when this takes place, and the mortal has been changed to the immortal, then the scripture will come true. Death is destroyed. Victory is complete. Now, Paul follows up on this a little bit more in 2 Timothy. He says, as he's about ready to pass away, he says, I fought the good fight. I've finished my course. I've kept the faith. He's going to die here shortly, very shortly. But what he says is, henceforth, there is a laid up for me a crown of righteousness, which the Lord will give me, which the righteous judge shall give me when? At that day. And not only to me, but to all of them who love his appearing. What's the context here? That day, his appearing. In other words, Jesus says in Revelation 22, Behold, I come quickly, and my reward is with me to give every man according to his work shall be. What is that reward? The new tent. And so when he says to be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord, and someone says, says fell asleep maybe 4,000 years ago, how soon, in their minds, is that new tent going to come? Instantly. To be absent from this old body is to be present with the Lord with the new tent, with the new body. Instantly, in your mind. And another question. Great question. Great question. Why did God put the tree of knowledge of good and evil in the garden if he didn't want Adam and Eve to eat of it? And there's some other questions that went in this with, did he need them in order to solve the sin problem? Did he want them to sin? All these questions arise from this one question here. Now, what did we study last night? What were the devil's accusations? He said, I want to create, but you won't let me. I want worship, but you won't let me. I want to run the universe, but you won't let me. He claimed that his freedom was restricted. Are you with me? You have a child like that that wants to do this, that, and the other thing, what is it? They claim that basically at the core, their freedoms are being restricted. The devil claimed his freedom was being restricted. Now, the only way God saw fit in his wisdom, the way he chose to do it, to answer that accusation was to say, okay, here's my brand new creation. Everything is very good. You say your freedom is restricted. Have Adam. He answered that accusation by demonstration. That's as good as I can answer the question. These are very deep, very good questions. But all we can do is think, what would God do? I mean, God's already done it. Obvious it was the right thing to do. 
what was he trying to accomplish? And that's as good as I can get with that one. But it's a very good question. You like these questions? These are very good questions, aren't they? Let's go to some facts we probably didn't know, okay? Now, we're all here because the world is messed up, are we not? We're all here because we have questions, because as we look around, we just see problem after problem after problem. Let's talk a little bit about crime, okay? And these are some astounding figures. The city of Detroit, Michigan, literally looks like a war zone. And violent crime is thriving. In Detroit, car thefts are up how many percent? 83%. Robberies are up 50%. Burglaries are up 20%. And property destruction is up 42%. Now, everything I'm going to talk about here tonight is United States only, okay? Number two, lawmakers in Illinois say that violence has become so rampant in Chicago that the National Guard needs to be sent in. In just one night, seven people were killed and 18 were wounded, mostly by gunfire. You know, I've done a lot of bad things in a lot of shady areas. And you know, if you get out of your car and stand in the middle of Rockland and listen, you don't hear much. But if you're in Oak Park or West Sacramento and you get out and you stand and you listen, if an hour goes by, you'll hear at least one gunshot. At least one gunshot. At least at least in the places I used to go. So, number three, the city of Phoenix has become a car theft capital of the world as millions of illegal aliens who can't get work have found that stealing cars can be very profitable indeed. Huh. There are approximately 12 million crimes committed in the United States every single year. That is by far the worst in the world. No other nation has more than about 6 million reported crimes per year. U.S. law enforcement authorities claim that there are now over one million members of criminal gangs inside the country. These one million gang members are responsible for up to 80% of the crimes committed in the United States each year. Now, of course, the problem is, is once you get in, it's very hard to get out. And so this number can do nothing but go up unless, of course, they kill themselves off. There are over 100,000 rapes in the United States every single year. That is the highest number for any of the countries in the United Nations. According to USA Today, 58% of state and local law enforcement agencies in the United States reported that violent criminal gangs were active in their areas in 2008, up 45%. It's just escalating. Do you see what's... It's just coming apart at the seams. And the last one, of course... One out of every five people is a victim of crime in the United States. No other nation on earth has a rate that is higher. Wow. It's coming apart at the seams. And I think that's why we're all here. We have questions. Why is this happening? What's at the core? What's going on behind the scenes? So our question tonight is, can't, the God, can't God forgive the devil? What do you think? No way, huh? Hmm. Okay. Now, in order to get to this question, in order to this answer this question, we are going to go so far, seemingly so far off track that you'll think I've lost my marbles. But don't worry. We'll be right where we need to be. You will think that I've gone mad. Remember, there was a crisis in the government of God. It broke loose. 
In Revelation chapter 12 and verse 7, it says, And there was war in heaven. Michael and his angels fought against the dragon. Who's, who's the dragon? The devil. And the dragon fought and his angels. And prevailed not, neither was there a place found any more in heaven. And the great dragon was cast out. That old serpent called the devil and Satan, which deceiveth the whole world, he was cast out into the earth. And these angels were cast out with him. And I heard a loud voice saying in heaven, Now is come salvation and strength in the kingdom of our God and the power of his Christ. For the what? Accuser of our brethren is cast down, which accused them before God day and night. What does he do? He accuses the brethren before God day and night. That's what he does. And he's really good at it. Because he's tempted each one of us to do some really bad things. And don't you think he doesn't know what we've done? He was right there. He knows what we've done. So then we read the text again that we answered earlier. Therefore rejoice heavens and you that dwell in them, but woe to the inhabitants of the earth and the sea, for that devil has come down to you having great wrath because he knows that his time is short. This creature now has come down as the accuser of the brethren and he's angry. He's got great wrath. There's nothing worse than somebody that's really mad and accusing you at the same time, is there? There's nothing worse than that. Remember in Luke 10, 18, Jesus himself said, I beheld Satan as lightning fall from heaven. Jesus himself said that. He had to go because he didn't fit there. Okay? Now, let's review what we learned last night. Okay? Satan accused God in heaven of being a liar. Remember? Okay? He accused God in Eden of being a liar. Remember? He accused God in the book of Job of being a liar. Everybody remember, right? Now remember, we had to peel back the onion, but basically that was the claim. In other words, God said in Eden, you shall, not, you shall die, and the devil said, you shall not surely die. What's the underlying message? God is a liar. God says, have you considered my servant Job? Satan said, he only serves you because you give him goodies. God says, no, he loves me. Satan says, no, you're bribing him, you're lying. The underlying message is God is a liar. Okay? And he even accused Christ of being a liar and having a devil. Remember? Who did he do that through? He did that through the religious leaders of the day. They called him Beelzebub. But then God did something to say something, didn't he? What we learned last night, he created this planet to say something, didn't he? He answered those accusations that, that the devil's freedom was restricted and that, the devil would, and that God would not share his creative abilities, right? And did God share his creative abilities with you and me? 
Yes, we can procreate. So he answered those accusations when he created this planet and he created the family of human beings and allowed us to raise our children to the dictates of our own conscience, meaning that God does not restrict freedom either. Okay, so God demonstrated. Now we come to the cross, and once again, God did something to say something, didn't he? 1 John 3, 8, whoever continues to sin belongs to who? The devil, because the devil has sinned from the very beginning. The Son of God appeared for this very reason, to destroy what the devil had done. Now, this is a big deal. Down in our planet, we just see this little thing. We see our own little lives in our little houses. And, you know, we get on our knees and we say that Jesus died to save me from my sins. And, uh, and I accept that. And I know he forgives me. But this is a big deal. And I think when we step back and look at, remember, this is God's right-hand man. This was God's mouthpiece. This was the being that ran the angelic host of the universe. And we're here on this small planet, kind of quarantined, if you will. And it seems like not such a big deal. But let, notice what the Bible says. In Colossians 1.20, through the Son, God to, decided to bring what? The whole universe back to himself. God made peace through his Son's blood on the cross so and so brought back to himself all things, both on earth and in heaven. Now, why would he need to bring back all things? Think about it. God lost one third of his children in heaven. In a perfect environment with a perfect father, with perfect brothers and sisters, he lost one third of them. So do you think the other two-thirds might have a few questions still? Like, why is my brother kicked out of heaven? You understanding? So when Jesus dies on the cross, they realize that God was telling the truth, that he would die for his creation. He could not go any farther to prove that he's telling the truth other than to die for his creation. And that brought everybody back together that was not expelled from heaven. Are you with me on this? Do you, you understand what I'm saying? This was a big deal. It's not just this planet. The whole universe was in disarray because of this being. And it was a mess. God won back his entire creation. Now notice in Colossians, Colossians 1.20, and having made peace, oh, this is actually, this is the King James Version again. I wanted to, to read both versions so that you can see that they both say the same thing. Having made peace through the blood of his cross, by him to reconcile all things unto himself. What are all things? That's all things, right? Unto himself, I say, whether they be things in earth or things in heaven. All things to reconcile all things to himself, so that there is no doubt what God is willing to do, what he's willing to go through for you and me. He doesn't just say it. He doesn't just say, I know what's right for you. He actually demonstrates it by dying for you so that you don't have to die. That's how bad he doesn't want any of us to die. 
He died for us. That's as good as it gets. Remember, if God was being lied about, he needed to do something to say something. For it was by God's own decision that the Son has in himself the full nature of God. An angel couldn't do it. Another being couldn't do it. It had to be God. Why? Because the questions are about nobody else but God. God has been blamed for everything. The questions are about God. So God needed to take care of this himself. I mean, what if, what if I said I would do something for you? And you say, well, I don't know if you'll do that. And I say, yeah, yeah, I'll do it for you. And then I send my wife over to do it. What kind of guy is that? What kind of promise is that? He said he'd come over and help. You know what I'm saying? So God, the questions were about nobody but God. And so God answered those questions personally with the hardest thing there is to do in the universe, and that is to die the second death. God offered him, now notice, Romans 3.25, God offered him so that by his blood he should become the means by which people's sins are what? Forgiven. Through their faith in him, God did this in order to demonstrate that he is righteous. He did it to demonstrate that he will always do the right thing Always. Even though sometimes that right thing doesn't seem right to us, God will always do the right thing. If we could see the end from the beginning, we would agree with him. But in our finite view of life, we can't. All we can do is trust that he is righteous, and that means that he will always do the right thing. Always. In this way, God shows that he himself is righteous and that he puts right everyone who believes in Jesus. Now, I love that version. He puts right everyone who believes in Jesus. You know what it means to be put right? I know, gentlemen, you know what it means to be put right. I know exactly that you know what it means to be put right. My poor wife is rolling her eyes. She did not see this one coming. This hasn't happened in about five years, but every once in a while, I will open mouth and switch feet. And sometimes I th- say things that hurt my wife. And sometimes I don't even know that I say them until she explains to me what I said. Then I realize, yeah, you should have never said that. So what happens is the poor thing goes down the hall, closes the door, and curls up on the bed, you know. And I'm out in the front room, and I'm pacing. I'm going, man, this is not good. What have I done? This is not good. I don't like this. And, you know, there's this friction in this stuff, and she's back there weeping, and I'm pacing, and she's weeping, and I'm pacing. And there's that long hallway. I don't want to go down there. I think I'm right. Well, I know I'm wrong, but I think I'm right because, and I'm just, go, you know, when you, you go, gentlemen, and you know you have to do it. You know you have to deal with it. It's the right thing to do. And so you go down the hall and you open the door. 
go away. I need to talk to you. Go away. I don't want to talk right now. That means I want to talk. Okay? It does. And so you finally make your way over there, you know? And anyway, we find out what the problem was, how to straighten it out, how many times we must say we're sorry before we are put right with our wives. Now, I don't know, to be honest with you, I don't know if it's just a guilt thing, or I don't know what it is exactly. But gentlemen, you know what it means when she finally accepts your apology. You know exactly what it means. You can walk back down that hallway. It's not going to be right for us. Now, sometimes... This goes on for three days before I know that I've done something wrong. It builds for like three days. Thank you for listening to Freedom to Choose and this series, Questions I'd Like to Ask God. If you or someone you know is living in addiction captivity and having trouble finding God, Rich and Susan Kallenberg are living testimonials that God does work miracles. They've created a seven-step, biblically-based handbook and a recovery workbook to move those you love toward freedom. If you'd like to order the Addiction Recovery Workbook for yourself or someone you know, just give them a call and they'll send it to you. 916-645-1297 or go to justiceiamministries.com As a nonprofit, they're supported by people like you. 916-645-1297 or justiceiamministries.com Thank you for listening and remember, you can do all things through Christ who strengthens you.